In the New Testament, we find somewhere around 10 different appearances of Jesus following his resurrection. In those 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. In the early verses of John chapter 20, we read about Jesus' first post-resurrection appearance to the gathered disciples again there on the night after the first Easter morning. When Jesus appeared to those disciples there on that night after the first Easter morning, Thomas was not there. He wasn't in the room when they met. So now we pick up the text in John's Gospel at verse 24 as we fast forward ahead by a week. Verse 24, chapter 20, says this, But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told Thomas, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see the marks, the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hand in his side, I will not believe. And now a week later, the disciples were again in the house, and this time Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then Jesus said straight to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered Jesus, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. This is the word of God. Friends, would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we pray that you will make very real to each one of us the presence of the living Christ here among us this morning. Give each one of us ears to hear what our Savior is saying to us today. Give us the grace and the courage to live as Easter people. Help us to receive the new life that is ours now because of the work of Jesus Christ. We offer this time to you, God. We pray that you will come and take even greater possession of each one of us. Make us truly, completely your people here in this world. In the strong, strong name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. None of us will get out of this world without some regrets. I've worked hard in my life, and I hope you have too, to minimize the regrets 
that we will leave this world caring, but we'll all have some regrets. One of, one of my regrets is that way back when my children were very, very young, I was not into any of C.S. Lewis's fiction. So I didn't even know about C.S. Lewis's children's stories until after my children were much older. And I regret that I hadn't moved beyond the prose of C.S. Lewis to the fiction, even the children's fiction of C.S. Lewis when my children were young. The Chronicles of Narnia have changed my life in many ways. And I'm sure a lot of the young people in our midst this morning know about the Chronicles of Narnia, but I would, I would recommend the Chronicles of Narnia to all of you adults also. You as adults can read those children's stories on a deeper level than perhaps young children can read those stories. In the Chronicles of Narnia, and that's, that's the place I escape to now on a regular basis is Narnia, In the Chronicles of Narnia, one of my favorite characters is one named Puddleglum. If you don't know Puddleglum, let me tell you about Puddleglum. Puddleglum occurs only in the volume entitled The Silver Chair. Puddleglum is a marsh wiggle that C.S. Lewis invents. And Puddleglum accompanies Eustace and Jill on their journey to find the lost Prince Rillian. And Puddleglum is an amazing character, and he's a very entertaining character. Puddleglum, to put it mildly, is a very gloomy, pessimistic person. In the silver chair, he's referred to as a wet blanket. I would love to have met C.S. Lewis's gardener, Fred Paxton. That's who Puddleglum was based upon. But as you read through the silver chair and you get to know Puddleglum well, you, you come to learn that he is one of those people that always sees the danger in every situation, whether it's there or not. He's one of those people that sees the bad in every good situation, whether it's there or not. He is one of those people, Puddleglum is, who constantly expects the worst. Puddleglum is one of those people that can suck the life out of any room, can suck the joy out of any room. Just to give you a couple examples, as Puddleglum accompanies Eustace and Jill on the trip to find to find the lost prince, really. And at one point, Puddleglum greets Eustace and Jill in the morning by saying this, and you need to sort of hear what Puddleglum says with a whine in his, in his voice. He says, good morning, guest. Though when I say good, I, I don't mean it probably won't turn to rain, or it might snow, or it might be fog, or it might thunder. You didn't get any sleep, I'm sure. That's Puddleglum. And another point, as they travel, he says to Eustace and Jill, very likely, what with enemies and mountains and rivers to cross and losing our way and next to nothing to eat and sore feet, 
we'll hardly notice the weather. The bright side is this, that if we break our necks getting down the cliff, then at least we'll be safe from being drowned in the river. Okay, I'm going to pause for just a few seconds and let you finish thinking about those people that you've called to mind. Those puddle glummish people in your life. I'm sure there were names occurring to you as I was describing puddle glum. But one thing I would submit to you today is this. I sincerely believe that we all need puddle glummish people in our lives. Now, I'm one of those people that are tremendously frustrated by puddle glummish people, but over the course of my life, I've learned that I, I need puddle glummish people in my life, not too many of them, but I need some puddle glummish people in my life to help, to help me keep my expectations in check, to help me stay grounded in reality. Because sometimes those puddle glummish people like the character Puddle Glum, can ask good questions, can make you look at the bigger picture, even when he's imagining some of the bigger picture. So to a certain extent, we all need those Puddle Glumish people that we just started thinking about that irritate us usually in our lives. I, I hope you're not one of those Puddle Glumish people, but I hope you do have somebody in your life that plays that role. When I look at the Gospels, I see, I see Thomas as a character like Puddle Glum. And that's why I'm so grateful for Thomas. When I look in the Gospels, I notice that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Thomas is nothing more than a name. But when I turn to John's Gospel, the character of Thomas gets fleshed out in John's Gospel. In John's Gospel, chapter 11... When Jesus says that he's going to leave the Galilee, their home, where they're very comfortable and where they are supported by the crowds, and go down south to Judea, go down south to the region around Jer Jerusalem, it, it was Thomas who said, rather pessimistically, well, let's go with them so that we can die with him. Well, Thomas was right. The enemies of Jesus were down there around Jerusalem. And then a little bit later in John's Gospel, in chapter 14, we encounter Jesus with his closest followers there in the upper room on the night of his betrayal. And there in his upper room discourse, he's saying some really heavy stuff to his closest followers. And at the beginning of John chapter 14, Jesus has said to his disciples there in the upper room that he is getting ready to leave them. And he says, and, and you know where I'm going. You know the way to where I'm going. And I suspect, I, I sense it in the text, I can suspect all the disciples started nodding in agreement to Jesus, with Jesus, even though they really didn't know what Jesus was talking about. We do that sometimes. But I'm grateful it was Thomas who refused to just nod in agreement with Jesus when he really didn't know what Jesus was talking about. And that's why it's at that point in John chapter 14 
that Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And one of the reasons I'm so grateful for, for Thomas's honesty at this point it, is that it is in response to Thomas's honesty at this point that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful for Thomas. We do notice here at the end of John's Gospel, chapter 20, Thomas was not with the disciples when they gathered that evening after the first Easter morning. They all gathered, but for some reason, Thomas chose not to be with them that night. I may be reading into the text, but what I've always imagined at this point is that Thomas was one of those kinds of people that needed to be by himself to grieve. You know, we all grieve differently. We need to be patient with each other because we all grieve differently. Some people like to be with other people when they grieve. Some people want to be alone when they grieve. I remember years ago, I went to see one of my preacher friends upon the death of his wife. And I went into the home, and the home was full of people. And I started noticing that my preacher friend, Ed, was nowhere to be found. So I asked where Ed was, and they told me he was in the shed in the backyard where his woodworking shop was. So I went out and invaded his space. I went out to the shop in the backyard, and there was Ed by himself. He just, there in the midst of his grief over the death of his wife, he just needed some time alone. I, I get that. I understand that. Perhaps Thomas was one of those people who after the crucifixion of Jesus, his master teacher, just wanted to be alone. So he wasn't with them. He wasn't with the disciples when Jesus showed up on the evening after that first Easter morning. And they all told him, Thomas, that they had seen Jesus. And you, you heard what Thomas said. Thomas refused to believe them. He said, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe, declares Thomas. We shouldn't be too hard on Thomas at this point. We may remember from Luke's gospel that when the women came back from finding the empty tomb, when the women came back from finding the living Jesus and they told the other disciples that they had found the living Jesus. In Luke's gospel, we're told that none of the men believed the women. They thought it was, to quote Luke, an idle tale. Perhaps we would say an old wives' tale. They refused to believe the women. So don't be too hard on Thomas at this point. He's, he's having a hard time accepting that Jesus has been raised from the dead. You see, up to this point in Thomas's life, the dead stayed dead as far as he knew. And sometimes we have to try to make, we want to make reality fit our experience of life. And sometimes reality is greater than our experience of life. But I understand Thomas. He, he couldn't believe what the other disciples were telling him. And then we pick up the story a week later and Jesus makes another appearance. On a Sunday night, by the way, 
And this time, Thomas is with the crowd. And then at verse 27, after Jesus has come and just said, hello, peace be with you to the disciples, he turns and he looks at Thomas. And he says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt but believe. And you notice in the text at this point, there's absolutely no evidence that Thomas has to touch Jesus anywhere. As soon as Jesus speaks the word, Thomas then says to Jesus in the presence of the other disciples, my Lord and my God. I think here at this point in this verse, you hear Thomas bringing to us the climax of the gospel of St. John. You know, the Gospel of St. John, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then you make your way through the rest of the Gospel of John. I think it then climaxes right here with Thomas making one of the most exalted statements of faith that we find in the New Testament. Thomas says to Jesus, the risen Jesus, my Lord and my God. Both Lord and God are titles for divinity in the Bible, in the Jewish world. But also I want you to notice the, the personal pronouns here. My Lord and my God. It was a confession of faith as to who Jesus is. And it was Thomas's profession of faith as he claimed the truth for himself. And then Jesus begins to talk about you and me in the text. He responds to Thomas's confession, profession of faith, with a beatitude, a blessing. Jesus says, have you, Thomas, believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those even in High Point, North Carolina, who have not seen what the apostles have seen and yet have come to believe. And that's one of John's favorite words in the gospel, believe. John wants to help us believe in Jesus. That means to accept some truth and reality about Jesus, but it also means to trust with great confidence in Jesus to depend upon Jesus for life and death. So Jesus offers a beatitude, a blessing, on those of us here in High Point and around the globe who for centuries since the apostles did not see exactly what they saw during those 40 days, but we still, we still believe. I hope that you notice, church, I have been talking about Thomas for almost 20-some minutes, and I've not yet used the word doubting. You know, isn't it interesting that's how Thomas has come down to us in Christian tradition, doubting Thomas. That's really not the adjective I prefer to use with Thomas because I see him as a puddle-glum type person. I see him as pessimistic, gloomy, 
overly realistic. I see him as one who refused to believe on secondhand information. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I see him as a person of honesty. I see him as a person who's willing to ask questions. Jesus, we don't know where you're going. He's willing to ask questions, so we benefit from Thomas's honesty. So it's always been a little disconcerting to me that we remember him as doubting Thomas rather than remembering him for this great confession of faith that we see here at the end of John's Gospel. My Lord and my God. So how, church, how are you doing with this Jesus stuff? This is life and death stuff. How are you doing with this Jesus stuff? If you're here this morning and you're dealing with great doubts, please know that's okay. We're so glad you're here among us. If you're dealing with doubts, please feel comforted this morning. And please know that there can be great value to doubt because it can get us to a sincere first-person experienced faith in Jesus Christ. If you're dealing with doubts this morning, uh, I want you to know that's okay, but I do want you to also know that you need to always doubt your doubts. Always continue to seek for truth. I do encourage you to believe that there is such a thing as truth, capital T, out there. Don't let your doubts prevent you from seeking it or prevent you from finding it. Let your doubts spur you on the search for truth. If you are at heart a skeptic this morning, please know that's okay too. We have benefited from great skeptics in history, but I encourage you to not allow your skepticism to become the center of who you are. We live in such a skeptical age. We value our skepticism. Sometimes we seem to almost turn our skepticism into our God. We view everything through the lens of skepticism. We turn skepticism into an idol. If you have your doubts, if you Deal with skepticism. Please know that's okay, but only allow that to be part of the journey. Don't stop and become a settler in the midst of your doubts and your skepticism. Keep seeking for truth, capital T, and be open to the Spirit bringing truth to you. And I also want you to know if you're here today with doubts and great skepticism that we here at Weston Memorial Church as a church family, we want to help you make your way to a greater belief in Jesus Christ. If you keep reading in John's Gospel, as soon as you finish this section where Thomas makes this tremendous affirmation of faith, John offers a summary statement in verse 30 of chapter 20. John says, Now Jesus did many other signs 
in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Wouldn't we like to know some of those stories? Verse 31, but these are written. These that are recorded here are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life, real life, abundant life, heavenly, eternal, everlasting life in his name, in his spirit. Friends, what we wish for each other here at Wesley Memorial Church is that we believe in such a way in the reality of Easter that we truly, we truly find life. I invite you to join me for just a few moments of silent prayer. And we're going to ask the Spirit to finish this sermon for us this morning. Would you pray with me? Spirit, we know that it has been you speaking to us today. We know that you are calling us to more, to the more that Jesus Christ has in store for each one of us. We do ask for the courage and the grace, God, to be open to the more that you have for us. And God, I pray that through the power of your spirit that you will finish this message in each one of our hearts today. Amen.